0: and Welcome to the weekly message for The Table. The Table is a church in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. I'm Pastor Rob Leverage, and it is is good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. Today we're going to start a sermon series around the question, Is Grace Sufficient? That's the question. Is grace sufficient? sufficient? We're going to ask this question each week relating to major challenges that people face in life, the kinds of things that put our faith to the test. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt close to losing faith or if you've found it difficult to live into your faith because of, you know, things you, that you were going through or what was going on in the world around you. Well, we are going to look at uh, situations that are very hard uh, over the next few weeks, and, and, and with these different situations, we're just going to ask the question, is grace sufficient? And the question is a reference to something that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians, um, he shared that he had suffered a kind of affliction. Um, He calls it a thorn in his flesh. You may have heard the the saying, a thorn in my side. Uh, That saying comes from this passage in the Bible. Paul does not specify what the thorn was, what was this affliction that he was suffering from. But he does say that he asked God to take it away from him, to heal him if it was a physical thing, to relieve him of the burden, to release him from whatever this affliction was, and he says that God would not take away the thorn. Okay, so this is a biblical example that so many of us can relate to in a deep and personal way. Way because we have struggled with some things and we have suffered and we have asked God to remove that struggle or that pain, right? And in some cases, God has not taken our problems away. Okay, in the Apostle Paul's case, he said that in his situation, God's word to him was you don't need the thorn to be taken away because my grace is sufficient for you. Okay. Now that is not really what you want to hear when you are going through something painful and difficult. Is it? I, really, you know, um, but I think what he was saying is that if his life, uh, if his joy in his life, let's say, if his sense of purpose Um, if his um, ministry, if his ability to serve and do good in the world and speak life to people, if all of that depends on him being free from affliction, then Paul would not really be depending on God, right? Paul would be depending on, you know, things being fine all the time, right? And God's word to him was, no, you can depend on me. Now, I wonder about whether we can apply that kind of thinking to everybody in every situation. So in this sermon series, we're, we're going to explore the question of how grace can be sufficient when we are going through things that we don't want to go through, things that we wish God would just solve or alleviate or fix, right? When we're in pain and we want it to stop, when we are afraid and things are getting worse, right? when we have dreams that have fallen apart, when we don't get what we want. Is it possible that God's grace can be sufficient for us in these moments of hardship? So that is the framing for this sermon series. And now uh, let's open our hearts and our minds. Let's allow our spirits to be receptive to a holy voice and hear these ancient words from 2 Corinthians. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast. On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, keep me to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast... <laughs> All the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so as I said, um, through the coming weeks, we're going to consider different kinds of hardship and struggle and suffering that can function as a thorn in our side, and how it is that faithful people have tried to rely on grace in the face of such things. To start things off this week, we're going to focus on physical bodily affliction, physical pain, physical illness, physical injury. These are things that we hear about in church a lot, right? When it's time for prayer requests, people lift up their loved ones who are hurt and sick and in the hospital. A lot of people assume that when Paul talked about his own thorn in the flesh, it was some kind of recurring, long-standing physical problem that he had. And there's actually quite a bit of debate about this. There's a million theories. What was the thorn in Paul's flesh? Now, it's not 100%. You know, there's no agreement on this. And there are some people who think that whatever the thorn was, it was not a physical affliction It was some kind of emotional or spiritual um, thing that he was dealing with. Um, I think that it probably was a physical uh, ailment of some sort that he had. But regardless, for lots and lots of us, physical suffering is the thorn. And so that's how we're going to come at this question today. In the face of physical pain and suffering, can God's grace be sufficient? That's our question. Now, there's a lot to say about the Apostle Paul's life story. Um, We'll discuss more of that as we go on in the weeks to come. Um, There will be various details we might want to cover at other times, but today I only want to note a couple of bits of information that he gives about himself in this passage that we just read. He describes having had a transcendent Spiritual experience in which he was taken to heaven, right? At places in this passage, he refers to some person that this happened to, um, but if you study the whole section of this of this book, Second Corinthians, it's pretty clear that uh, Paul is talking about. Himself in this passage, and he says that he was um, taken up to paradise, and he was shown some of the secrets of God, things that he was not able to divulge to his friends and his listeners and his readers. Uh, What exactly did Paul see and learn when he went to went to heaven? It's it's not. He doesn't say. It's very mysterious. Um, and he also doesn't say, like, what the nature of this, like, uh, visit was. Like, was it a physical, supernatural event, like his own personal temporary rapture? Um, or did it happen in some kind of dream or other kind of vision? Paul says he's not sure. He says whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot say. But this was a transformational experience, right? This was the kind of experience that puts everything else into perspective. He had a vision of heaven, and his life on earth would never be the same. After this experience, he seems to have been consumed with joy and exultation. Whatever he saw was so profoundly wonderful that he apparently could not help being ecstatic. And that is the context in which he describes the thorn in his flesh. You see, Paul believed that this affliction that he had, um, whether it was an, an illness, an injury, or something else. And by the way, it's possible that the people that he was writing about, w- that he the people that he was writing to, um, it's possible that they knew all about this. Maybe the reason he doesn't say exactly what the thorn was is because everybody in Corinth already knew what he was dealing with because it was common knowledge. But who who knows? Um, We do not know. But we know from this passage that Paul believed that this affliction that he had, the thorn in the flesh, was actually an attack by the devil to try and undermine his joy in life and his joy in the world. that the, the devil was upset by the vision and the gift that Paul had received and, and the devil wanted to cut that gladness and that good cheer out from under him. Okay. Um, that's the understanding that Paul had, that this is where this thorn in his flesh came from. It was an attack on Paul's rejoicing. Okay. Now, I myself do not, typically think about suffering in this way that when bad things happen to me or my loved ones you know i don't typically think that the devil is behind it and i i'll just just flat out say it i never tell other people who are going through hard times that the devil is attacking them i i just don't generally believe that that's what's going on but I also don't judge people who do think that way. Um, if I'm talking to somebody who has cancer and they say to me, the devil is trying to take away my joy, I'm not going to argue with that way of thinking. You know? It really does feel sometimes like there has to be some you know, nefarious plot, right? There has to be some reason, some agenda behind the things that have happened to us. Like there's somebody out there who just wants to spoil our good experiences and wreck our lives. I mean, haven't you at least wondered once or twice, You know, is there somebody out to get me right now? Um, Paul gives voice to that. And even if you're not one to imagine the devil behind a curtain pulling strings, you may still relate to the principle of unseen forces aligning themselves against a person you know, when the rent increases twice as fast as our wages increase, right? or when there's lead in the drinking water, or when a child is passed from one abusive av- environment into another, right? We clearly see, you know, that there are forces in the world, which it's fine with me if we call them demonic forces, unseen agents and systems, that are to blame for suffering that need not be. Okay. So no matter what our intellectual disposition regarding the devil may be, right, when we feel like there are hidden forces at work that are doing harm, Paul's testimony is for us. Okay. Now, one powerful detail in the scripture is that Paul gives a time frame for his thorn in the flesh he says that it all began 14 years ago. And whatever his condition was, he in, in writing this letter, he clearly expects to be dealing with it for the rest of his life. To learn that a physical condition is going to be with you for the rest of your days. Friends, many of you know this is one of the most difficult things that a person can ever have to take on board and to process and to integrate into their outlook on life. There are so many of us who read about this thorn in 2 Corinthians and immediately know, see that? That is my epilepsy. That is my heart failure that's my lupus that's my type 1 diabetes that's my cerebral palsy right we can make a list a mile long And so many of us will nod our heads i have a thorn okay i have a thorn that i wish could be taken away paul prays about it he does he prays about it he asks god to help with his Affliction, And not only that, but over and over again throughout the New Testament, Paul tells other people to pray about the things that they are going through, such as in the letter to the Romans where he wrote, um, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Paul believed in prayer, he urged people to pray, and he prayed himself. But when God did not take the thorn away. And when God did not heal Paul physically of whatever his condition was, Paul did not think that his prayer was in vain or, or that he shouldn't have been praying for that, uh, you know, all along about the thorn, you know. That it, like, it was right for Paul to pray about this thorn. It was right for him to seek God's help. And you and I ought to remember this, friends. Okay, I frequently speak to people who are going through something, you know, quite serious, but they hesitate to pray about it because, you know, I mean, how can I expect God to help my husband who had a heart attack when there are so many other people who've had heart attacks and they died and and why should my husband be more important than them? Right. Or what about the wars and and all the famine and all the hardship all throughout the world? Like, why should I bother God with my personal individual situation? People ask these questions all the time. And there is real humility and dignity in those questions and in, in that perspective. And I tell people, anybody who says that to me, I say, you're right. Okay? You're not more important than anybody on this earth. And good on you for comprehending that. I wish more people understood that. You know, some people really need to realize that they are not the center of the universe. But the answer to that conundrum is simply to say, yes, you should care about All of the big picture tragedy and need in the world. And you should contribute in every way that you are able to helping establish solutions in service of peace and healing across the globe. And when you look around in your immediate circumstances, in your local context, you know, you should absolutely see the value in every other person the value in every single person you might pass on the street or see at school or at your workplace or what have you that is the same they have the same value as the person whom you love most in the world and so you should know that God loves them as much as God loves you and also you should pray for your own healing for, the healing of your family members. You should pray for your own prayer requests. It is good. It is right. Because when you pray, you're not cutting in line, okay? You're not saying, you know, that what I'm personally individually going through is more important than all the other things that people are praying about. You know, you're simply drawing near to God you're pouring out your heart and leaning on the everlasting arms and saying, God, I need you. Please help. Help me with this burden that I cannot bear alone. That's what you're saying. And come what may, whether my body is healed completely or partially or not at all, it is to your almighty love and grace that I entrust my life. That is the prayer. Now, if like you, sorry, if like Paul, (laughs) you pray for a thorn to be taken away and it is not taken away, you may discover that grace is sufficient. But before we articulate just how people experience that, I would like to name a couple of things (laughs) That you don't have to worry about okay if grace is to be sufficient in the face of ongoing physical pain and sickness there are some associated falsehoods of which we should disabuse ourselves okay if grace is sufficient it doesn't mean that you have to be happy or cheerful all of the time okay you're not obligated to have a perky disposition or a delightful attitude you don't have to worry about how you're being evaluated by other people as you are going through pain that is uniquely yours to go through. Okay. If you reach a state of peace and assurance that because of God's grace, you're going to be okay and everything is going to be okay. Well that doesn't mean that pain <laughs> no longer hurts or that stuff that sucks no longer sucks. Okay? You don't have to pretend that you're not in pain just because God's grace is sufficient. You're if you're going to chemotherapy or kidney dialysis or heroin withdrawal or God knows what, these things don't become easy just because you're walking with the Lord. Okay? Hard things are hard even when you know that God loves you. Right? And if there is an unhelpful person in your life who really expects you to have a different attitude about your situation than what you have, it's fine to invite that person to leave you alone. You know, it's fine. Okay. An, uh, another idea that we should try to let go of is that you know, if we are to rely on God's grace, then we are supposed to understand what all of this means you know and to to be able to testify as to why it is that everything that's happening is happening you know sometimes people treat faith like like it's writing a memoir in advance you know this is what's happening and this is what it all means you know if you're suffering and you're trying to rely on grace you don't meanwhile, have to alight on some explanation that's going to make it all tidy and comprehensible like a Hallmark Hallmark movie. It may never make sense, you see. This affliction, the thorn in your flesh, it may be utterly senseless, at least within the confines of our mortal limitations, And accepting the senselessness, (laughs) you know, in its own way, accepting the maddening chaos of it all right you know the ways that our circumstances don't make sense accepting this can help us embrace grace sometimes you know it can help us because the truth is when we rely on god when we fully trust in grace what we're what we're really doing is we're saying that my ability to handle all of this is insufficient you see My strength cannot bear this burden. My constitution cannot withstand this pain. My wisdom, right, cannot comprehend the meaning of this trial. My feeble brain cannot figure all this stuff out. And let me tell you, my patience cannot tolerate these people who want me to inspire them with my effervescent attitude, okay? They want more cheerful cancer selfies than I can give them. Okay. To rely on God's grace is to say that this whole thing, this whole mess, exceeds my limitations. Right? This whole thing is more than I can deal with on my own. Right? Now, if you want to know how trusting god actually helps i will tell you i don't really know i don't know how it works i don't know how grace works i don't know how ultimate truth (laughs) works okay i don't know how it happens that grace can see us through the experience of having our physical selves, our bodies ravaged by illness and injury and pain. I only have a couple of pieces of wisdom from the gospel. Okay. The first is that Christian faith is built on shocking reversals of conventional understanding. Okay, That is... <laughs> You know, one way of looking at it, the gospel is built on turned tables, okay? As we try to understand the world, we try to understand life and human relationships and even physical well-being, Christianity teaches us that God flips stuff around, turns stuff upside down even, right? What we expect to be the thing usually ain't the thing. So jesus tells us time and again that the last will be first and the humble will be exalted jesus mom mary proclaimed the mighty going to be brought down from their thrones and the hungry will be fed i mean this is a reversal okay this is this is tables being turned this is opposite day right from the way we expect the world to operate jesus said that we will not return violence for violence when was the last time i mean come on Is violence for violence not the way the world works, right? Jesus said we will not curse our persecutors, we will pray for them. These are reversals. These are teachings that directly contradict everything we think we know about the way the world works, the way life functions, okay? The Apostle Paul himself said that the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. And in today's passage, with regard to the thorn in his flesh, okay, his physical affliction that he had endured for 14 years, and God knows how many more years he was going to have to deal with it, Paul articulated the gospel truth that strength is made perfect in weakness. Strength. Made perfect in weakness. The last will be first, the humble exalted. Wisdom is foolishness, strength perfected in weakness. The gospel turns things around, you see. And the greatest turnaround, you know, the turnaround upon which our faith is built, is of course the resurrection itself. Do we suffer? Are we hurt are our bodies broken Jesus was hurt Jesus knew pain Jesus body was broken and at one point Jesus pondered whether we ha- whether he had been abandoned by God you know forsaken when he was hurt he wondered is god here is god far away God was not far away, and while people could not perceive it, new life was in fact at hand. So if you are in pain today, if you are struggling with illness and physical hurt and all of the fear and all of the anguish that comes along with that, and first of all, if you are asking, is God here, is God far away? I mean, don't be ashamed to ask that question. Jesus asked that question. That's a good question. But because we know that Jesus knew pain just like you and me, we know that in these trials, God is not far. Christ is near. Christ who suffered. Christ who died. Christ who rose. God, our creator, uh, authored this life, sourced this life that we have received. This life is a gift. It is good. And God looked upon you as you began your journey of life on this earth. And God cherished you and has looked upon you as the beloved with whom God is well-pleased. Friends, none of us brought ourselves into being. We exist involuntarily. No matter how hard we work, no matter how much good we do, we cannot take credit for being here in the first place because life itself is a gift of God's grace. It's okay for us to lean upon that grace in times when life becomes unbearably hard. This life comes with unspeakable beauty and incalculable joy, but it comes also with pain, for we are flesh. Some of us know more and worse than others. That's not fair. But it is God's judgment that the pain and hardship we endure is not the greatest force in this life because grace preceded us. and Grace will hold us long after this pain has come to an end. And that is why Paul said that it is sufficient. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, before I bless us on our way, I just want to say that I I have approached writing this message tenderly, and I've been (laughs) a little nervous about saying these things because I really want to honor the experience of people listening to this message. So, if you have some insight to share about your experience, maybe some questions, or if you think that... Either I've misstated something or misunderstood or overlooked something that is important as we consider, you know, the kind of life circumstances that we've sort of been imagining together and things that people are living through, right? If you're going through something really serious with your health that might be, that might provide some insight into this, um, this ongoing uh, series of messages, I'd love to hear your thoughts so that maybe you could illuminate me a little bit more, help me be better informed as I compose the next few messages in this series. So if you'd like to share any kind of feedback, you can email our church, which is gather at tableqc.com. You can comment on this video, or you, if you're listening to this on our podcast, you can leave a voice memo. Uh, there's a link in the episode description. And now I just like to share the topics for the next couple of weeks in this series. Um, so we're asking the question each week: Is grace sufficient? Okay. So this first week is: Is grace sufficient if my physical sickness or injury or pain is not relieved? Okay. Next week we're going to say: Ask the question: Is grace sufficient if I am guilty? Of some grave sin. Then we're going to ask a question: Is grace sufficient? If I have been wronged, and reconciliation is not possible because the other person may not be around anymore, or they never they refuse to admit that they were wrong. Um, is grace sufficient? And then uh, the week after that, we're going to explore the question, is grace sufficient if things do not turn out the way I want them to? Okay. So uh, that is a little bit about where we're going in this series. I wish you all the best. I wish the peace of Christ <laughs> would be with you. And we will see you very soon. God bless you. Peace.